So, as has already been mentioned, we're taking a bit of a pause from our series of going through John's Gospel. We will be coming back to it. But we want to take a short period um, to talk about being church. And you will excuse me if I brought some of my grandkids' things here. Neil was talking about the amazing variety of people that make up the church. And it seems to me that they're kind of... Duplo is a good picture of the church. If you're listening to the news much at the moment, you may have come across the fact that the church in this country, certainly the institutional church, is having a bit of a tough time. Half the time, the church seems to get criticised for being too stuck in tradition and out of line with prevailing culture. And the other half of the time, they're condemned for abandoning their heritage and their tradition. They really can't win. Probably a little bit loud. Getting some feedback. And the point is that the media just don't understand what the church is about, what it actually is. They either see it as a sort of archaic institution or as a custodian of some historic buildings. So this week, I want to try and paint a picture of what God intends for his people. From God's point of view, what on earth are we here for? And then next week, Sarah's going to pick up the theme and explore, talk a little bit around what church looks like from a human perspective. And then in a couple of weeks' time, Adam's going to be sharing about these specific areas of focus to which God has called us at YCC. And then as we go on through October, um, we're going to be digging a little bit into a bit more what it means to belong to church, what belonging actually looks like in, in practical ways. So this week, as you may have guessed, I want to talk or give us a title, Duplo Theology. See, I was brought up to believe that you can't survive as a Christian unless you're part of a church. You just won't, you won't survive at all. You need to be involved in part of them belonging to a church. The metaphor that's often used was about coals in the fire. You may have heard of it. Um, you know, the idea when you've got a grate with some coals of fire in there, and if you take one of the lumps of coal out and just put it on its own, it tends to go out and quickly lose its heat. And yet that was the analogy that was, I was always brought up with. You know, if you're not, don't belong to a church, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to just uh, lose your passion for Jesus. And to be fair, I have seen many examples of that. You can probably think of some as well. People who've disconnected uh, from church and alongside that, they seem to have lost their passion for following Jesus. That is true in many cases. And yet, somehow I'm not quite convinced that it's the whole truth or it's completely true. See, back when I was uh, taught that you had to belong to a church in order to survive, 
belonging to a church actually looked like just attending a weekly service. It was sort of seen very much in those terms. As long as you turned up, that was okay. And while I believe that it is important for us to gather, and the fact that you're here or there um, implies that you attach some importance to being together. And we will talk about that in future weeks. But church is so much more than merely gathering on a Sunday. But the second reason that I think I, I don't entirely buy into the you will not survive unless you belong to a church is that I know and love some people and deeply respect them who have chosen not to be a part of a church community and yet they haven't given up on Jesus. Now, for some of them, they may have disconnected from anything corporate because perhaps they've been hurt by the church or by Christians. I get it. And if that's a situation that's close to your experience, I understand it a little bit and I will return to it. But for a lot of others, I think, maybe it's just they've got a bit bored, got a bit bored of church. They still want to be disciples of Jesus, but church doesn't just do it for them anymore. So although I want to qualify my initial view that you can't survive as a Christian unless you're part of a church, I would say, yes, you can survive as a Jesus follower without being integrated into a church, but I would dare to suggest two things. Firstly, while you can survive, I'm not sure that you will grow to your full potential in Jesus. In fact, I don't think you will. Survive, yes. Thrive and be transformed, not so much. And be a part of what God is calling us to, probably not. So we'll explore some of that in future weeks. But for now, I simply want to stress our ability to survive or indeed to thrive as disciples of Jesus is not actually the main point of church. It is a point, but it's not the main point. To those who, would, who feel that church just simply doesn't do it for me anymore, I would respond as I often say to others. First and foremost, it's not about me. It's what God is after. It's not about me. Because God is not merely wanting lots of individuals, all different shapes and sizes. He's not just wanting a whole bunch of individuals who may or may not be growing more and more like Jesus. He's after something far greater. That's what I want to explore. And to properly grasp this, we just need to go back a little bit in the story of God's dealings with his people. So we can start with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see, God's promise in Genesis 12 is not merely that he was going to bless Abraham. Abraham was going to be somebody who God was really going to bless him and all go well for him. But rather that from him would come a whole family, a whole community, a whole nation. And that through this nation, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And then God reiterates that to Jacob. 
uh, to Isaac, firstly, in Genesis 26, about how through his family all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And in that context, an integral part of that blessing was going to be that God's presence would be with him. Just excuse me while I carry on building something. And then we read the same thing with Jacob in Genesis 28. He would be blessed, God would bless him, and God reiterates that his family would bring blessing to all the families of the earth, and he reassures Jacob of his presence. We see it particularly in that remarkable dream that uh, Jacob had with Stairway to Heaven. You may recall it in Genesis 28, which makes Jacob declare, surely God is in this place. What an awesome place it is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gate of heaven. God is after more than just a bunch of individuals. It has always been God's intention not simply to bless some isolated individuals for their own sake. His purpose has always been threefold, three things. To build a family or a community or a tribe or a nation, it's always corporate. He always wants to build something family, something tribe, a nation, something corporate. It's not just about me, it's about us. And God's purpose is that this community would not just be the recipients of his blessing, but would be both a model and a channel for his blessing to flow to the rest of humanity. As others have often said, you may have heard it many times, the church is one of those few groups that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. And the one thing that would most clearly mark out this community would not merely be their distinctive practices or even their distinctive behaviour, but that in a special and unique way, God's presence would be with them. They would be marked out by God's presence amongst them. And as the story of Israel unfolds with Moses and, and all that situation, we see God doggedly pursuing his threefold purpose, not always with great success, but even after that appalling episode when the liberated people of Israel turn to idolatry with the golden calf, God still responds to the prayer of Moses by saying, this is Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. To which Moses replies, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? God is always after building something bigger. It's always corporate. It's not about us, and it's marked by God's presence. And we could explore uh, and go over in the Old Testament about the tabernacle and the temple, which were physical space intended to be a focus for God's presence amongst them. 
But the key point remains. God's not just after a bunch of holy individuals. He's after a holy community. He's not just wanting to bless a few specially favoured ones, but to create a community would be the channel of his blessing to the whole world. And while this community will be distinctive in multiple ways, a genuinely countercultural community, its most distinctive feature is meant to be that the people who encounter this community will find themselves declaring, God is really among you. God is really among you. So being the people of God, being the church, is not just a supportive friendship club for Christians. God is in the business of building something bigger, something corporate. And we can go back further. You can go right back to the uh, narrative in Genesis, where God commands the man and the woman, says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over it. And he creates the man and woman with the intention that they not remain alone, but reproduce and become many, become a family, that they be stewards of his physical world. He tells them to start by tending over and watching the garden and, and helping to shape creation by naming the animals. And God's purpose was that they do this in partnership with him, with his presence alongside them, walking in the garden with them. Once again, God's purpose, not merely for one couple, his plan was for them to expand and become community, to be a blessing, in this case, to the whole physical creation, and to enjoy his presence as they do so. And we know how that narrative unfolded. But as for the story of Israel, despite the repeated failures and disasters, the shape of what God was always seeking to accomplish remains clear. He wants us as a community. And we can even look at a bigger picture, take a step back and see even a bigger uh, a picture, step back to the unseen spiritual realm that parallels and coexists with the visible, visible world that we see them that we're familiar with. There are hints of this in the Old Testament, but we see it particularly in the New, where Paul puts it like this. He says, my job is to make clear to everyone just what the secret plan is, the purpose that's been hidden from the very beginning of the world. From the very beginning of the world in God who created all things, this is it, that God's wisdom in all its rich variety was to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church through the church that's an amazing statement we just read it again this is god's plan that god's wisdom in all its rich variety was made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church just pause and reflect on that for just a moment. God's people, weak as we often are, are his chosen means of displaying the greatness of his wisdom to all the spiritual powers in the heavenly realm. God's people, of which we are a part, we, us here now, one local expression of this, we are called to be a demonstration of God's greatness and grace to the angels and archangels and the host of heaven, inspiring them to wonder and to worship. And for those condemned spiritual powers that still stand opposed to God's purposes, we are called to be God's rebuttal of their arrogant boasting. Right now, I'm looking at a group of people who God says are revealing his rich and varied wisdom to the very powers of heaven. That is our calling. 
corporately together, called to be a blessing and to fulfill that as we're filled with the very life and presence of Jesus. His presence is not just for us individually, though that is also true, but most especially amongst us as a community. In Ephesians 1, Paul puts it like this, this was the power at work in Jesus when God raised him from the dead and sat him at the right hand in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and power and lordship and above every name that is invoked, both in the present age and in the age to come. Yes, God put all things under his feet and has given him to the church as head over all. The church is his body. It is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Unless we think that that's just a little over the top, too high a calling, unrealistic, too awesome to imagine, particularly when we see the frailty and failings of the church, including our church. We need to remember that this is not merely our calling, this is our destiny. In the age to come, we the people of God are destined for exactly these three same things. Together in resurrection with all God's people, we will be a holy nation, or to change the picture language, the bride of Jesus, or another image, the heavenly city, or the body of Christ. And we will regain our creation responsibility as we rule and reign with Jesus, for the whole creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And on that day, we will all experience fully the presence of God. As it says in Revelation 21, look, God has come to dwell with humans. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And the calling of the church during this in-between time is to anticipate and embody as much as possible of that age to come in the here and now. Some of you I know um, relate with uh, and make use of uh, the uh, daily Lectio 365 prayer app. A couple of days ago, one of the prayers there said this, Holy Spirit, help us to boldly prepare the way of the Lord in both word and deed as you annex the world with increasing measures of your kingdom. Love that phrase. Annex the world with increasing measures of your kingdom. Just perhaps to share a little bit of my own story. Since my late teens and early 20s, the Holy Spirit has stirred in me a very deep passion for the church. I don't just mean this church, the church, including this church. I think I was kind of arrested and, and captured by these words from Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it so that he could make it holy, cleansing it by washing it with water through the word. He did this in order to present the church to himself in brilliant splendor, without a single spot or blemish or anything of the kind, that it might be holy and without blame. That really landed with me. It really matters. The church really matters. To use the words of uh, Graham Kendrick, someone you might remember if you're old, that the lamb who was slain might receive the reward of his suffering. And so for most of my life, I confess, I have been passionately obsessed 
that Jesus should have the bride that he gave his life to secure. It matters. So as I wrap this up, I just want to focus on three specific areas of response that may be relevant to different ones of us. It might be good to have the band up now, if that's okay, please. So I've said that we're called together corporately to be part of God's family. And if you are somebody who is or has become a bit reluctant to engage with the church corporately, I would say two things. If it's just because it simply doesn't appeal to you that much, I would say don't do it for yourself. Be part of it for Jesus' sake. He is passionate about his bride, even if you're not. Don't be on the outside. Buy into it fully. And as I touched on earlier, if you are one of those who's perhaps been reluctant to engage because you've been hurt by the church, I can only say, quite genuinely, I am very, very deeply sorry. Shame on us. And if that hurt is linked to a specific church community, I quite understand that you may need to engage with a different local body of believers. But for your sake and for Jesus' sake, be courageous. Seek out a healthy Christian community where you can be a part. And then, as we've been touching on, as God's people, we're called to be a blessing to those around us. And one of the most obvious ways we do this is by getting involved in all the numerous ways that we and many other local churches are serving and blessing our community. And over the coming weeks, we are uh, going to be giving an update on all the various projects and ministries that YCC is committed to. And there's no doubt many, many stories that we can and should tell. But for your encouragement, let me just simply highlight the impact of one other part of the church here in Yeovil that I heard about recently. Over the past year, St Peter's have set up a community hub on Westfield. A few people here are involved in it. They've helped establish various groups for those on that estate. And for those who've been around YCC for a very long time, we used to meet up there and we recognised that that estate was one of the poorest and most uh, socially deprived estates in Yeovil. Now, there are probably various factors involved, but it's clear to me that, that what St Peter's have done there in setting up that hub and the groups that have sprung up as a result of that have played a crucial and key part in this. That over the last, comparing first half of this year with the first half of last year, total recorded crime on Westfield is down by 22%. And total recorded incidents of antisocial behaviour is down by 52%. We are blessed to be a blessing. That is how it works out. We throw ourselves into these things so that what God has given us flows out to others. Let's be a part of it. It's perhaps easy, maybe COVID had something to do with this, that the thing for which YCC was so well known where everybody was volunteering all over the place, it's easy to just step back and be a little bit, um, maybe not so much now. 
but we're called, we're blessed to be a blessing. And we can pour ourselves into it as that's part of God's purpose. And we're called to be a people, as I have said, a community who host God's presence. And we can recognize and we can celebrate his presence in scores of ways as we seek to place Jesus at the center of our friendships. But it seems to me from what we see in scripture, God's presence is most clearly seen and most powerfully experienced when we gather together to give ourselves wholeheartedly to praise and to worship. Our worship together is not a spectator sport. That's why we have as one as the first of our vision statements that we want by God's Spirit, we're committed to becoming a community where Jesus is wholeheartedly worshipped, deeply experienced and clearly known. And what's that all got to do with Duplay? We can be all sorts of different shapes and sizes and different colours, different personalities, different gifts. God's purpose is to build us together. To build us together into something like a city set on a hill that will be a place for him to dwell. I couldn't resist Jesus in the middle. 1 Peter 2 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Paul again says in Ephesians, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his presence. Let's be that. Let's do that. Let's embody that. Let's release that. Let's learn about being church.